Thank you for the reminder that we don't let go of things one time. Sometimes we pick it back up and we have to be reminded to let it go again. And again and again. Oh, thank you all. Will you pray with me, please? Loving God, you never leave us alone or let us go from under your tender care. In your love, we are restored and we won't be shaken. Yet today, sacred one, we come mourning for the loss of lives of our siblings in Charleston from Emmanuel AME. We pray that your presence be with their families as they turn to you for comfort, understanding, peace, and tender mercies. We know that being absent from the body is being present with you, O oh God, yet we still mourn with their families at the loss of their companionship and presence along the journey. Lead every heart touched by this act into healing. Restore in your time every spirit injured by this horrific event. Be attentive to our prayers. As we pray in solidarity with those around the world for your peace to reign, may we become your agents of that peace. Wash and anoint us now with your word of truth. In the name of Jesus and in the name of all that is sacred and holy, we pray. Amen. Do you believe that you have the power within you to change your life for the better? Do you believe that you can create your own destiny? Do you believe that if you decided right now to change or obtain or release that one thing that keeps you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish or that keeps you bound or stops you from living life as your fully authentic and power-filled self, your destiny would manifest as you wished it would. The third chapter of Ruth is here to tell you that not only can you change your destiny, it is only you who can change your destiny. You know, I've heard this preached often, and Ruth has been framed as, Naomi and Ruth, as a schemer and a lady of the evening, respectively. We've been told often that they hatch this plan to entreat Boaz into marrying Ruth the seductress. Usually the person who is offering this frame tends to be male. Needless to say, I don't see it quite like that. 
So I ask you to journey with me a moment into my understanding of this chapter as it offers us three different perspectives on power. Who has it? Who doesn't? And how they use it to affect their own destiny. But first, let me define what I mean by power in this context. To me, power is the capacity to have control, authority, or influence over our own selves and others. So let's start with Naomi. When Naomi was last in Bethlehem, she and her husband and sons owned a parcel of land. They were farmers by trade, and a famine arose in Bethlehem, which caused them to sojourn or leave for a while to find work so that they could feed themselves. Now, even though Naomi and her sons stayed in Moab for 10 years after Elimelech's death, the land they owned in Bethlehem remained their land. But you see, there's a, a caveat. Property only transfers to male heirs. So even though the land of the family of Elimelech was still in existence, Naomi's lament on returning empty was not just about the loss of her husbands and her sons. She also lost the ability to claim the land as her own. She knew that she was an older woman. She knew that she had few life choices open to her. She knew she was too old to give birth to a son, to be an heir. Naomi was in a limbo and would have been dependent on a kinsman redeemer to care for her in her old age, or she would have been dependent on charity of the temple. To many of us, it may seem that she had given up when she returned to Bethlehem. Naomi appeared to have relinquished her power, and she was just going to see what life had to offer her. That is until chapter 3, when we see that she has not given up. She refuses to allow herself and her daughter-in-law to end up destitute. So she instructs her daughter-in-law and the laws of her people to redeem themselves and to claim their land. She tells Ruth to go to the one person who can secure for them a future. Now, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer of both Naomi and Ruth. Now, he knew that they had returned from Bethlehem. As he said so much as to Ruth when he had talked to her in the field, he said, you know, I have heard about your loving kindness to Naomi. So he was fully aware of their precarious position, teetering on the edge of poverty with no place to call a home. He knew at the beginning of the harvest season of their need, yet he did nothing. Scripture does not provide to us an insight into why he did not act at that moment. 
he did provide them with food for their table. And even a little more to sell for their other needs, but he could have done so much more. He definitely had power. Yet his lack of exercising that power as quickly as he could to redeem them, I feel was actually a little ruthless. Which brings me to Ruth, the Moabite. The Moabites were a nomadic people. They didn't have that same kind of formal structure that, about, around gender that the Israelites had, who were farming people. With the Moabites, if there was work to do, you did it. There weren't gender assignments of, this is a man's job or this is a woman's job. If you wanted to eat, you needed to work. That's the work ethic that Ruth brought with her to Bethlehem. So it doesn't surprise me that she went into the fields to glean. She decided to take care of her family. She risked her reputation and her life going into a field of someone she did not know. She used what was available to her, her body, to care for her family. She worked for weeks, day in and day out, to care for herself and for the aging Naomi. Ruth was exercising her own power as she met and spoke with Boaz and asking him to find, thank you for finding favor in me. She agreed to follow Naomi's instruction when there seemed to be no other alternative. So we get to the end of the harvest season and Naomi is concerned. She's concerned because she don't know how they will survive. She is fearful that they will indeed become destitute. She now pens her hope on Ruth securing for them safety and redemption. So Naomi realizes that Boaz has not come forward to serve as their Goel or their kinsman redeemer. And you know, she's afraid that he never will. So she explains to Ruth what she needs to do in order to force Boaz's hand to do what he should have already done. Out of loving kindness for Naomi, Ruth says, I will do all that you ask. Yet Ruth does more. When Boaz is startled awake, he asks into the darkness, who is this? And Ruth answers, I am Ruth, which can mean I am a friend or I am your companion. She could have left it at that and could have become Boaz's maidservant. But Ruth claims 
her own power and moves in her own authority to add, spread your cover of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Ruth claims her destiny. She, in fact, proposes to Boaz. She uses her power, all that she has, in order to secure a future for her family. And that is a power to be proud of. Ruth finally influences with authority. Boaz, she calls him into account to do what is his responsibility. She exercises a power to be proud of in deed. For us, I, there is a line in the chapter that has not let me go since I read it and began to study for this sermon because I believe it defines Ruth's mindset. It's the very first part of verse 3, which says, now wash and anoint yourself. I believe it speaks to claiming your own destiny and moving in your own power. Now wash and anoint yourself. I don't know what it will take for you to claim your destiny and move into your own power, the power to be proud of, but I do know this. You can wash and anoint yourself in order to prepare for the journey. Naomi told Ruth to get ready to do what it takes to secure our future. Wash and anoint yourself. There are things in my life that I am not proud of doing, but I did them in order to survive. Maybe you may have done some things as well, or it could just be me. But you know, life is not always going to unfold in the way we would like for it to. But that doesn't mean that we can't claim our own destiny. That does not mean that we cannot move in our own power. Wash and anoint yourself. This fragment of a verse offers us an opportunity for healing, for wholeness, for justice. Healing from stigma and shame for doing what we have had to do in order to survive, to take care of our families, to take care of ourselves, to keep a roof over our head and food over our table. Wash and anoint yourself. I implore you 
to be a Ruth in your own life. Don't wait for a, a Goel, a kinsman redeemer who, never, who may never come. Redeem yourself. Wash and anoint yourself. Speak words of affirmation to yourself and find others who will speak them to you too. Because there is a power in you that you can be proud of. Wash and anoint yourself. And it will help you find that power within. That power to be proud of. Amen. Thank you, Vicki. Wash and anoint yourself. Um, power you can be proud of. Responding to God's love for us, who loved us first in ways that we're proud of. For our family. Kept thinking of the song, What I Did for Love. What I Still Do for Love. Wash and anoint yourself. Claim the power that God gives you to change the world in your time, in your talents, in your treasure, in your kindness, in your smartness. Wash and anoint yourself so that you may be God's people in this world. At this time, if you have a completed commitment card, we will invite you to bring it forward as Mark sings a hymn that was written by a Presbyterian woman about the horrible tragedy in Mother Emanuel AME Church. Naming the names, making the commitment that love has the answer, that God is the answer in all things and in all ways. So I invite you to prayerfully, if you haven't, to fill out your card, to tear off the portion for yourself and to leave it here. I've got mine here. Walter and I prayed, and we're still at the 11% we committed last year. We couldn't do any different, but it has the same number on it, and that 11% is going to go in this bowl. At this time, I'm saying love wins with a generosity I can be proud of. Amen.
preached and sang and coached and taught and cared for children too. They blessed your church and blessed our world with gifts they used for you. God, may we keep on sowing the seeds of justice here till hate is silent people sing and hope replaces My name is Jules Zarnick, and I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit of my faith journey with you this morning. I'm truly grateful for all the blessings I have received and continue to receive simply by being a member of this church. The greatest gift has been that I believe that God loves me. I heard that Jesus loved me growing up in the Catholic Church and in my religious education classes, but when I realized I was a lesbian, I really wondered if I was truly loved just as I was. Growing up, my family was sort of like the Partridge family. My father was a folk group leader of each church we attended. Both my parents played guitar and sang. My older brother played electric bass. My younger brother played bongos, and I played tambourine and sang. We were at church every Wednesday night and Sunday morning as long as I can remember, and we gave of our time. Here at Resurrection, I have either sung in the adult choir or taught in the children's choir 19 out of the past 20 years. Thank you. As a child, I always enjoyed going to church to sing but never felt fed or nurtured during the services as I do here at Resurrection. Since attending this church, I have learned so much more than just Bible stories. I have literally grown up in the church. When I say I've grown up in this church, I mean both physically and spiritually. I still have some growing to do, but in the past when I've had a problem or issue to deal with, I've let anger, resentment, alcohol, or food get me through the rough patches. Today I have another solution. I go to God. It's not always easy, but because of resurrection and the stories and the lessons I hear every Sunday, and through members who reach out to me and share their stories, I learn another way to walk through the challenges, the pain, or the loss. I have to be honest, some days I come to church and I still stand in awe that everyone genuinely cares about everyone else, unconditionally, no strings attached. It took me a while to realize that there was nothing I had to do to earn love. It's just like the unconditional love of God, and for that I am grateful. I feel a sense of community here at Resurrection that I did not feel as a child. I see the same sense of community in my children. When my children leave Sunday school here, they cannot wait to tell me what they've learned, 
and how eager they are to come back the next Sunday. There's a story I want to tell you about letting go, letting God in, and being able to lay my burdens down. It was a few years back, and I'd heard we had a new education director, and she wanted to meet me to hear about the work I'd done with the children's choir. I met with Reverend Kristen after work one day. I don't remember much about the conversation, but I remember I was burned out from teaching every Sunday. Within the first 10 minutes of the conversation, Kristen asked me if I needed to take a break. I stammered and said, well, yes, I actually do, but who would teach the choir? She said she would figure that out, but everyone deserved a break, especially volunteers. It was important that we needed to be fed if we were going to be able to feed others. I sat in my chair just amazed that someone would see my need and offer a solution so willingly. I took six months off and was able to sit in the congregation and enjoy the sermons and music and and be present to all that the service offered. That was a true gift. After all the years singing in Catholic Church right next to the altar and then singing in the choir loft on Decatur Street and singing in the choir loft here on 11th, even when teaching with the children, there's nothing quite like being able to be fully present in the service and truly letting my cares go, go or try and lay them down at the foot of the cross. I love having a place I can come to every Sunday and be who I am Bring all that I am, happy, angry, tired, weary, either alone with my children or my partner, and be accepted. This church has given so much to me, it is important that I do what I can to make sure it is around for many years to come. I want my children to have a warm and welcoming place that they can grow physically and spiritually. And so I began to realize I need to offer more than just my talents. I need to offer my treasure. Tithing was a foreign concept to me, but I was able to build it into my monthly spending, and over time I have increased the amount I give. My partner and I have been married for 10 years, and I want to say that this was the first year we openly discussed our family tithe and increasing what we want to give to the church. Now, there have been times when I have had to de decrease my giving for a short period, but I just didn't want to tell the finance person at the church. But when I finally did, there was a relief because they thanked me for my gift and for letting them know so they could adjust the plan accordingly. As soon as I was able to increase my giving again, I did because this church and community is an anchor for myself and for my children. I can't imagine not having this church to come to and I will do everything in my power to ensure I support this ministry now and in the upcoming years to come. And I hope you join me. Thank you. Oh, people of God, as you get ready to give your offering this morning and the ushers come forward, be blessed to know 